Hi, I'm Robin Birkin and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast, a place for women struggling to conceive to find emotional support, conception advice and real talk. To me, being a warrior means true glory is in rising every time we fall, having the courage to be afraid and being ready for whatever challenges cross our path. So welcome, warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Hi, warriors, and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Warriors. I am joined today by Jay Palumbo. Many of you will know her through her social media channels as Jenny J Pal. I've certainly known her for many, many years under that handle. And boy, does this lady get around. She is the business. She's been advocating for fertility for many years now and has been featured on places like CNN, NPR, BBC, Time Magazine, HuffPost, there's even more, guys. There's so many places that Jenny has been featured and she's talking to us today all about a topic that I'm going to be honest, I don't really know too much about and that's about advocating in your workplace, negotiating with your employers about benefits and that's because in Australia it works just a little bit differently. So I'm really pleased to be able to bring someone here from the United States to chat to us about it and somebody who knows quite a bit about it. We'll talk about that as we get in. But also, if you're tuning in from Australia or Europe, we're also going to dive into a few little things at the end that might be helpful to you, such as, you know, some tips for affording treatment, etc. But let's dive straight in. Welcome so much to the podcast. Yes, I'm so, so happy to speak to you and particularly on this topic as it definitely impacted me as I didn't have very good infertility coverage myself. And it's such an important one. We've seen so many questions, especially recently in the Fertility Warriors support and chat group about employer benefits, about insurance and things like that. And it's just something that I don't know about because here in Australia, we have Medicare and IVF in most private health insurance companies isn't covered at all. But through our government program, we usually receive about a 50% discount. And now in the last few years, we've had some public clinics open up. They have wait lists of like 18 months, but certainly if finances are a thing, then, you know, it's so different to the United States. Yeah, no, it is. And what I always say, particularly when I'm advocating, is that the World Health Organization recognizes infertility as a medical diagnosis. But right now, currently only 16 states have infertility insurance coverage laws in six states have fertility preservation laws for medically induced infertility. So if you have like a cancer diagnosis Mm. and I'm like, so that's 16 states where the world health organization, the world is recognizing infertility as a medical diagnosis, but only 16 states in the U S recognize it as a medical diagnosis. And as a advocate here in the States, that's really disheartening. So there's so many people right now in the U.S. that are making their treatment decisions based on money as opposed to what they actually need medically to have a family. And I saw some statistic, I think, shared by you the other day that said that on average, people will need something like six IVF cycles. 
Yes. Oh, God. So that is actually based on a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. They call it JAMA in 2015. And I always joke that when I share this study with people, people want to punch me in the face. <laughs> because Basically, on average, it's so important. I would want to punch me in the face, honestly. On average in the U.S., depending on what your doctor is recommending, an IVF can cost anywhere from like 12000 to 15000 and according to this study by JAMA, again in 2015, on average, it can be anywhere from, basically, I'm trying to remember the exact statistic, but if women continue with IVF, they have a 69% chance of having a baby after nine oh. IVF cycles. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and the majority of women, they said 65.3% of patients in the study achieved success after six cycles mm. of IVF particularly if they were under the age of 40. And then on average, the process of success for IVF, again, which is six to nine cycles, will take a total of two years, which is similar to the rates that couples conceive naturally take in one year. So it's anywhere technically from six to nine, which again, if you don't have coverage, mm -hmm. I don't know too many people who can afford twelve to $15,000 six to nine times. I mean, I'm not good at math, but holy crap. I know. <laughs> I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that, number one, that's why making some health and lifestyle changes is really, really important. Um, but also yeah. that there's something also fundamentally wrong with um, the science and the industries if it takes that long. But like those are statistics. And so I totally agree. There are not many people out there who would be able to afford such an expense. And like, there's many people out there that I hear about in our Fertility Warriors support and chat group who can't even really afford one IVF cycle. So they're kind of stuck on this IUI yes. brain. Yeah. And there's so many, oh God, I can see, I get very passionate about this. There's so many things about this that are broken. It's the best word I can use because there are many times, and again, I've been doing this since 2009, which isn't forever, but it's been like 10 years. There's so many times where I talk to people who are doing either unmonitored IUIs or just IUIs in general with their OBGYN. Mm. Do not ask me why. Um, yeah. When they really need to, I'm not actually putting the blame on them as much as I'm gently, ever so lovingly putting the blame on their OBGYN. The yeah. OBGYNs, they really need to be like, hey, you probably need to see a reproductive endocrinologist because there are some OBGYNs. I do not know why because they have enough patients to deal with, but they hold on to their infertility patients when they really do need to refer them to an RE. I have lost track of how many times I've seen online or when I was working full-time in the fertility D2C space where I've talked to patients being like, well, yeah, I've been doing multiple IUIs with my OBGYN. So I think that's one issue. The other issue is recurrent pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. If you have had more than two to three, that is not normal. If yeah. your doctor is telling you that's normal, it's not. Not Well, I shouldn't say normal, but it's just bad luck or you're overreacting or that happens. I've heard so many stories about that. So if you're doing IUIs and you can get pregnant, but you're having recurrent pregnancy loss, you genuinely 
need to start thinking about something than IUIs. Mm-hmm. Just again, I'm not a doctor, nor have I played one on TV, but just talk to a reproductive endocrinologist about whether or not there's a genetic concern, because maybe you need to pursue IVF to do something like PGT testing, yeah. um, which used to be called PGS and PGD, but they, you know, now have just updated the name. It's like Prince. They change the name every couple of years. <laughs> but basically, IUIs don't account for genetic testing and more advanced reproductive technology that you may need. And if you are, the third part of my problem with IUIs, not that, and again, some people absolutely need IUIs, have success with IUIs, so I don't mean to dismiss it. But if you're close around the age of 38, 39, 40, the success rates of IVF are much higher. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of another problem with both lack of coverage and even existing coverage, because in the States, many insurances actually require that you go through a certain amount of IUIs before you are allowed to move to IVF. It's like a weird, bizarre board game. Yes. Yes. And then you could be in a female same-sex relationship and they're like, nope, you still have to do IUIs before you do IVF, which is just dumb. But let's say your doctor's like, so you're a 38-year-old patient. I don't know. You have maybe a blocked tube. They're like, well, I'm sorry, your insurance says you have to do three IUIs. You are now not only wasting time, A, but B, you're wasting your precious egg quality time because you're around 38. And to be clear, I'm 45, which I, you know, I I try not to shy away from. I am not old. 38-year-olds are not old. But in the fertility world, we're Betty White. So I don't want to give anyone the impression that I'm just, you know, dismissing 38-year-olds. But as you get older, IVF is just a more aggressive treatment. And it's just unfortunate, you know, just as you're saying, there's all these people doing IUIs. That's the rub, so to speak, is it may not actually be the best treatment for your situation, but unfortunately, right now, it's the cheapest. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier, people are like, well, I'll do IUIs because they're making decisions based on the monetary amount, not on what's actually the best course of action. Yep. So where do we start when we're staring down the barrel of these huge expenses and how does it all work like with insurance? How do we you know, negotiate this with our workplace or bring this conversation up even at our workplace? Can you walk me through how this all works? Yes. And, and I have to say, it, it, I think it surprises people that studies have shown that, and Resolve actually has a great, Resolve the National Infertility Association, they actually have a PDF that you can download that can be uh, kind of, it, it offers a bunch of data that you can use to speak to your employer. I think one of the biggest problems, and this is just my own personal theory, is a lot of patients don't feel exactly comfortable being the one to kind of share with their employer that they're having fertility issues, which I completely understand. I know when I was going through numerous IVF cycles, and at the time I I worked for a male boss, and I disclosed to him because I was going through a clinical trial at the time, and they had to see me every day to monitor. And it was was because it was free. So that's why I was doing this clinical trial. I don't care if it's a prostate exam. If it's free, I'll probably do it. So 
I wanted to explain to him why I would be a little late every morning. And I swear, I think he started to slowly, he was on a, a rolling chair, a rolling office chair. The more I started talking to him about my eggs and uterus, and I wasn't even that graphic, I think he slowly started to roll away from me as if <laughs> infertility was contagious. Yeah. Um, so I can understand why people maybe not, you know, don't want to disclose their infertility to their, to their boss. But studies have shown that they actually are quite receptive when people advocate for themselves. So 65% of companies offered infertility treatment in direct response to employees requesting IVF. And that's a pretty encouraging number. Yeah. So if you have no fertility coverage, basically the best thing to do, and, and I would start with your, your company, or your employer, is to find the HR person or the decision maker. You don't even necessarily have to go to your direct boss and talk to them about infertility and definitely go in prepared. And what you can let them know is that if you have fertility coverage and you are certainly, I'm sure, whatever company you work for, even if it's 25 people, odds are there's someone else who has infertility issues mm -hmm. or fertility related issues of some sort. Employees are less likely to miss time from work due to infertility when they have insurance coverage. They are not worrying about, you know, where are they going to get the money or how are they going to pay for their next appointment? Like even I know I was distracted, but basically one of the quotes from the study that I'm, I'm talking about with um, Mercer Health and EMD Serono and Resolve, one of the quotes was knowing we recovered, put my mind at ease and I was able to focus on working. Then it also helps recruit new employees. It's used as a retention tool to encourage people to work for your company. So other people will recommend their employer as a great place to work. Yes. And I think we all know the Starbucks example. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Google and Facebook and anyone, I mean, more and more people are choosing their, their company based on benefits. Mm. And if you believe that your employer is family friendly, people are less likely to leave. Then you feel like your employer is listening to their needs and you feel that their employer cares about their well-being. And so the other thing is it actually saves, and this is a very important point, it actually saves your company money in the long run. Yeah. Because if you have, and this is kind of a little complicated, but just stay with me. If you have insurance coverage, you're not just doing all these IUIs um, because it's less expensive. And you can, you know, maybe move sooner to IVF. You can also hopefully, because more and more people are doing single embryo transfer, mm -hmm. and that's called ESET, elective single embryo transfer. And when you have this insurance coverage, you have single embryo transfer, which in the long run is a safer and healthier pregnancy. Yes. This means that if you have a female em employee or even just, you know, the male and, and his wife is pregnant, she's going to have a safer, healthier pregnancy. There's not going to be multiple pregnancy where the babies maybe will be born earlier mm -hmm. and there's no NICU costs. Yes. So by making it a more hopefully happier, seamless, healthier procreation process, you're then making sure that there'll be less complications or at least a re reduction in complications during the pregnancy 
you're actually saving money because now you're not paying a NICU cost down the road. So overall, it actually would benefit the company. It's just a matter of someone advocating for themselves with their their company. So that actually is one course of action. You just would really have to go unprepared and advocate for yourself. That's one course of action with speaking with your employer. So there might be a few people listening at the moment who would be super scared to do that because they would be they would feel like they would be discriminated against. Yes. So talk to me about that. See, and again, that I really do relate to because I actually feel that that's sort of what happened to me. Um, Again, with the example I used earlier, it did start to affect, I think, my boss's opinion of my work. And I actually, and not not with the cycle I talked to him about, but eventually with a subsequent cycle, I did get pregnant, finally. And then I think he was so worn out by my treatment, just my, my fertility treatment, that once I got pregnant and then I was going to doctor's appointments, he actually put it in my review that I was frequently late. And that was when I was hugely pregnant. And I was like, well, I'm late because I'm going to doctor's appointments because I'm pregnant. He goes, yes, you can put that in your review as a response. But it actually impacted his view of my work, which hadn't changed. So I genuinely relate to that. And so, which is really unfortunate and probably time for a whole other podcast (laughs) because (laughs) I do think that's, it's unfortunate because here you are trying to advocate for yourself and and being judged, but there are other ways to not go to your employer. You can actually consider going directly to either your insurance company or to your doctor. So for example, some insurances may cover related treatment if there's a general health condition, for example, right now, this is Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome Awareness Month. Yep. If you have PCOS syndrome, that also happens to obviously impact fertility. If you find out perhaps your insurance may cover some of your fertility treatment because you actually have a medical diagnosis they do cover, that may be, I hate to use the word loophole, but that may be actually a possibility. So you can do some investigation on that. Even endometriosis is another example. Yes. One yep. thing you should definitely do, no matter what route you take, is contact your insurance company and ask for either your benefits package or an explanation of benefits where you can really look through exactly what coverage you do have. So that's one option. Some insurances may even have like specific healthcare provider diagnostic code. So if you know exactly what the diagnostic code is, that can help you with, you know, again, if you have a diagnosis of PCOS or or endometriosis, you can speak to your doctor and and see if he can list that as the reason for your treatment. So that's why I think the more homework you can do, the better. That's some really good advice. Yeah. And then also, it's funny, I think most people don't really look at their insurance anyway. So there may be something actually in there that can help. Yeah. And so, yeah, as you say, the key is doing the research. I think also, though, we can also talk about, you know, like being scared to ask the question, being scared to make the phone call to insurance and things like that. It's kind of all a scary experience. And I think sometimes, as you said, people underestimate the assistance that they will receive and underestimate how they'll be perceived. There's lots of studies out there that show that the most successful people in life, like the Richard Bransons and things like that out there, one of the key differentiating factors is in that they regularly ask 
for help. And the studies also show that people do underestimate the amount of assistance that they'll receive. But also, if you don't ask, you'll never know, like nothing ventured, nothing gained. And yes. it comes back to this whole, the, you know, the entire fear that we feel with infertility is the fear of failure. But sometimes it will work. There are people out there who would be scared to go and talk to their HR department and things like that who probably would be able to negotiate uh, some benefits, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I and I love that you brought this up. I mean, I definitely, not to beat a dead and fertile horse, but I truly used to be that person where I would never ask. And I think for me personally, the perception was that you would be perceived as aggressive or annoying or what ha- what have you. But what I realized is, and I don't know if anyone else will feel the same way, there is a way to ask these things in a way that isn't aggressive or mean or bitchy or anything along those lines. You can be like, listen, like for example, with the clinical trial I just mentioned, and it's actually a, a piece of advice I can offer, you can say to your clinic, listen, I'm a little concerned about costs. Do you happen to have any clinical trials that I may qualify for, you know, that you're offering right now? And that's not being mean, aggressive, pushy, or anything. You're just asking. And if they're like, no, I'm sorry, we don't, then okay. But it's really funny. In my case, I happened to ask that question at this one clinic, and he never mentioned it, never offered it. But when I asked, he goes, you know what? We actually do. Sometimes people just don't think about it until you bring it up. And then I qualified for this really great clinical trial. And I think you're right. You just, you have to at least ask in a way that you feel comfortable asking. But it's so important because the sense of satisfaction is is fantastic. It really is. I mean, particularly, as I mentioned to Robin and when we were talking about this topic offline, this past year, we passed something called the FAFTA bill here in New York, which is the Fertility Act Treatment. Oh, my God. I can't even remember the, the, the <laughs> acronym. There's so many acronyms in um, fertility. I'm, I'm losing it. Yeah. I think the Fair Access to Fertility Treatment Act. There we go. And (laughs) that we've been advocating for for years with incredible New York advocates. One of them is Risa Levine, so shout out to Risa. But basically going to Albany, going to D.C., going to, you know, people over and over again and saying, hey, let me explain this to you again. And infertility is a disease. And, you know, it was about asking and being persistent. But in January 2020, we finally are now going to have IVF and fertility preservation coverage. And let me tell you, that feeling of being able to now help thousands here in New York is so gratifying. And so I would encourage everyone to advocate for themselves. It is uncomfortable, but if you get some sort of resolution, the reward is just, it's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, like when we're talking about the majority of people I would suggest we'll need more than one IVF cycle when that's what we're talking about. Like it's high stakes it's and it's gambling as well. So it really does make all of the difference. So in terms of the United States, what other avenues are there, you know, to help people afford treatment? Somebody on my Instagram asked about grants. Do you know where people go to find out about grants? Does Resolve have a 
checklist or anything? Where do people go or do you have any tips on that? Yes. Some other things in general, I mean, I would suggest, especially in the, the U.S., just very quickly, it's not great, but I would, again, recommend asking clinics about clinical trial. You can also go online. There's clinicaltrial.gov. You can put in your condition and what state you're in. So for me, I would put like infertility, New York, and sometimes you can find clinical trials that you may qualify for in the area. You can also ask your clinics if anyone's donated fertility medication, because I think that's something people forget about. Sometimes the fertility medication alone is very pricey. You know, like you have your IVF cycle and then, oh my God, you have all this fertility medication. You know, you just read my mind because I was literally about to bring that up because like literally I was about to ask that question because we have so many people trying to give away meds in our Facebook group. It's illegal, y'all, because it's prescription medications. But when you donate them back to the clinic, the clinic can then donate them on. Yes, and that's what I did on my third cycle. There's a lot of programs, particularly in the States, there's one by EMD Serono where you can apply for a grant for fertility medication, speaking of. But it is funny because I think people are like, okay, the IVF, the IVF, the IVF, and then you find out your medications are like $5,000 and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> so, but the fertility medications for EMD, it's called fertilitylifelines.com and that's something that can help you with the medications, just to throw that out there. You apply and and you can get some sort of money there. But another thing you can do is you can keep copies of all the money you've spent on fertility treatment or any related doctor appointments. And you can actually talk to your tax accountant when you file your taxes for that year to see if you can file it under medical. Mm. And then I actually don't know if you have this where you are, but in the US, we have two things called an FSA and an HSA. So it's flexible spending account and a healthcare savings account. Depending on your accounts, you can possibly use that towards your treatment. But in terms of grants, Resolve does have a page that lists that. There's also another site called Fertility Within Reach. So fertilitywithinreach.org, you go to financial assistance and the first one under financial assistance is grant and discount programs. They have a whole list of grants. And the reason I give that one is just, I find that one a teeny bit easier to find, but Resolve has literally every resource you can possibly find on their site. And they are a great resource for basically, if you want to look up insurance definitions of any particular thing that you've been diagnosed for. So those are two very good sites, fertilitywithinreach.org and, of course, resolve.org. But they both have a bunch of grants that you can apply for. There's BabyQuest, Cade Foundation. God, there's there's a whole bunch of them I could list. But I would definitely go to those two pages and, and look them up. And some of them are in certain states. But you definitely should look into them. That is amazing advice. We will make sure that we get all of those links in our podcast show notes for anyone who's driving at the moment or jogging or anything like that and didn't have their pen and paper ready. That is incredible advice, Jay. And I think uh, we need to pause for applause for just a minute because you talked a moment about, you know, some of the benefits that people are 
now now have access to, particularly in New York and other states. And you have been quite a tireless campaigner for that. And that's not something that has, you know, been just writing one letter (laughs) um, to people. I, I know that it has taken a lot more than that. So, yeah, I think we should pause for a pause for just a moment to acknowledge that. And I think what we might do is move on to our speed round. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm nervous. Before we do that, tell us where we can find you. Tell us what you've got on going on at the moment. Oh, it's so funny. So I'm so excited. This Friday, I'm actually going to be flying to Orlando for the PCOS Challenge Gala event where I'm going to be co-hosting with Dr. Mark Trollis. So I'm really excited about that. I'm not going to get to go to Disney World. (laughs) But it seems wrong to go, like, on your own. I don't know. But anyway, but that's what I'm going to be doing this Friday. So it's all about PCOS Awareness Month. So I'm very excited about that. Which, by the way, I'm telling everyone stands for Pretty Curvy, Obviously Sexy. That's my new movement to try to get that going. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. They can find you at... Jenny J. Powell on Instagram. Um, you have a website. Is it Wonder Woman Writer? Um, you also yes. have a blog, The Two Week Wait. Yes, and that's, it's funny. I moved everything to Wonder Woman Writer, but it's, it's The Two Week Wait blog is on uh, Wonder Woman Writer. Yep. Awesome. Um, all right, let's do this. So have you given any thought to dinner tonight? Now, I'll be really honest with you because I do, I'm like a borderline PCOS person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I am very curvy. I've been doing the South Beach diet. God okay. help me. So I all my food is in the freezer. <laughs> it's so sad. So anyway, it's probably going to be a South Beach meal. I just don't know which one, but it's South cool. Beach. It's really good though. I'll tell you that much. It's awesome. all frozen. Yeah. yeah. And less meal prep, less cleaning up, uh, which is yeah. awesome. Do you yeah. have a favorite quote or affirmation? I have a lot. I'm a big quote person. Yeah, I think my favorite one is live your life by design and not by default. Mm, Yeah, so true for us, especially when we are in the fertility land. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? Jane Eyre. I love that book. It's It's a very interesting book because I think the more you read it, the more you realize how truly feminist it actually is. I think it doesn't seem like it, but there are certain passages when you reread it, you're like, oh, wow. Like she was ahead of her time, Charlotte Bronte. There's just certain sections and certain quotes that you're like, damn, she was a rebel. (laughs) But you have to really reread it where there's like this one section where she is talking about she wants to do more than just knit and play the piano. And I'm like, amen, sister. So (laughs) I, I think she's, yeah, she's she's more ahead of her time than people realized. And there's just so many great quotes. Like, if you can't grant me freedom, at least grant me a new servitude. And I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting in a cubicle right now being like, amen. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to need to read that book. And do you have, is there just something that you kind of want to shake people and scream? Like, what message would you wish to tell everyone? The big, big thing, and that I, and I think, and I speak from from myself because obviously, I'm a very vocal advocate, but I was not that way the first year or two when I was dealing with infertility. And I think coming from my own experience, the thing that I didn't get that I want to make sure people get now is infertility is a medical diagnosis and not a personal commentary on who you are. Because when I was initially going through it, I really felt 
that I had done something wrong, that I was a failure. I internalized it way too much. And now that I'm a little older, wiser, and more educated on basically the whole, not only community, but how many different diagnoses there are. And, and I've connected with other women and, and men that have gone through this journey. It's just like diabetes, arthritis, cancer, a million other medical diagnoses that it's not, it's, it, it, people are just internalizing it too much. And, and what I'm going to say is a little bold, but I hope people understand where I'm coming from. We need to stop being embarrassed about it and apologizing for it, because I think that's part of the reason we're still having a hard time getting the coverage we need, because there's still too many people not talking about it. And if we don't start getting over our own feelings about it, I don't know if we're ever going to get other people over it. So again, I know it's a bold statement. I really, I've been there. I relate. I'm telling you I do, but I think we just have to try to advocate harder and get more people to come out and say, yes, I'm going through this because the more we stand up for ourselves, <laughs> the less people will stop picking on us and we can get hopefully more coverage. I, I, again, I sort of hate saying that because I really was that person in bed on the weekends after another failed cycle depressed, but I, I just think this is, I cannot believe how long this is going on. I cannot believe that it's 2019 and we still don't have the coverage we should, that, that yeah. basically other medical diagnoses have. It's just crazy. Yeah. And I, I can totally relate that I, you know, was sort of that person uh, as well. And it took me a long, long time to get to the other side. But, you know, at the second, the moment that I became much more open about everything, the moment that I started almost like normalizing it within myself uh, was the moment that I just felt this huge weight lift off my shoulders. Yeah. And it all felt just a lot lighter, which is not to say I didn't have like really heavy moments. Um, and then, you know, I didn't have moments where I felt like I was at rock bottom, but overall felt like I could cope with everything a lot better after I sort of said, actually, I'm not a failure. This is what I'm going through for better or worse. You know, this is it. And everyone can know about it. Like I'm done keeping all of this, you know, cause it's hard as well. I'm done keeping all of this hurt myself. Yeah. And you know, and I do want to give you major props. You are like a dynamo, which I've said to you privately, <laughs> but you are like everywhere. You're on Instagram. I mean, like when I was looking at your website, I think the only thing you don't do is sing. I mean, you, unless you do and you're just keeping it from us, but yeah. I mean, you write about it, you support people, you're on Instagram, you've got, I mean, you do so much in this podcast. I, I mean, I barely have the time to figure out what I'm going to heat up for dinner, obviously. That's why I, I'm so in love with people like yourself because, and I always say it's corny, but right now while you and I are doing what we do, there are people in bed depressed, not able to do that. And so, yeah. you know, just major props to you for continuing to find these warriors and highlight them. So seriously. Oh, thank you. It is definitely, I'm sure you feel exactly the same way that we just feel like we need to get out there. We need to spread the message and we need to support people. I suppose, as you said as well, we don't want people to be necessarily in the same uh, shoes that we were in. We want to make this journey better for everyone uh, who walks yeah. this path behind us. Yeah, definitely. I agree. thousand percent. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, and it was so valuable to have someone from, you know, across 
the way talking to us a little bit more about some of the intricacies of how things work in the United States, but certainly some messages that I'm sure everyone will resonate with in terms of advocating for yourself, asking for what you want, asking whether there are clinical trials, letting people know upfront, you know, if you are having trouble affording the treatments and just asking what's out there. So really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. If you would like more tools, resources and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinbirkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.